You're checking out the Nifty Q Show. All right, good morning. Good evening. Good night. Welcome in to the Nifty Q Show. We're interviewing founders, leaders, and builders in the non-fungible token industry. Today, I am sitting with the one and only Brian Brinkman to talk about his work as an animator and visual effect artist working on the Saturday Night Live set, his journey in the NFT space since 2020, uh, and much more. And, and when I say much more, it's it's definitely going to be much more. Uh, we were struggling to get out of rabbit holes before I even press live. But uh, Brian, how are you doing today, my man? Hey, I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Q. A lot of my community members are excited to hear you uh, and, and and see you uh, in this conversation, man. I appreciate you joining me today. You're, you're one of kind of, I, I want to say one of the leaders in the NFT space since the, the very beginning of all this hype, right, uh, that we, ha- we had in 2020 all the way to now. So extremely excited to be here. Uh, there's probably a conversation that we could have uh, that is more formal and the one that I should as an interviewer take you down, but I'd rather have the one that we're just kind of too nft enthusiasts uh getting after it man so what 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 are you doing these days in in the nft space man how how are you uh doing in general i'm doing i'm doing really well um in terms of my art i have a lot of really fun drops coming up soon um hopefully i can say uh doing some with genies uh which i'm excited about um doing something with artifacts which i'm very excited about um and in terms of my other role outside of my art, I've become an advisor on a lot of different projects, and one of them is called ChangeDAO, which is an NFT platform that artists can use to create art about causes they care about that raises money for those, and that's going to come out in the next month or two. So I've been spending almost like a year working on that, so I'm really excited for that to come out. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of a lot of a lot of fun things in the works. But and then also, you know, I'm I'm a collector and a DGen, and I'm always you know full-time in the space yeah i I was mentioning before uh we went and i pressed the button to for us to go live that like it's hard for me to interview creative sometimes because usually if i have like a project on it's like super project specific Mm -hmm. and i just struggle with that but then i realized in my research with you it it might be both ways because i came upon your brinkman post uh here i believe it's called uh, content. What was it called? Creative output post. And it's basically a picture of you with like all these little bubbles that show what you do. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like 30 different bubbles. And, and that's exactly what I struggle with. So how do you explain what you do, oh, yeah. you know, on the day to day and who you are? I should probably update that bubble post. It's, 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 it's even expanded even further. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think I just did a talk in LA at uh, NFT in America. And I kind of talked about my, my logic for how I divide my time as an artist and it's it's a uh, divided into a, a pie chart of thirds uh a third of it is being creative which is making art uh making animations uh doing collaborations and then a third of it is marketing which is you know going on stuff like this and talking about what i do uh and then the other third is just connecting with the space getting into discords having fun with it meeting other artists collecting other artists building that kind of connection and so when i think about how i spend my time uh, you know, I wake up in the morning and I probably don't actually start working on art until the afternoon because the morning I'm just catching up on the NFT space and I'm looking at all these other things. I'm like, what, what, what's the big thing of the day? I want to be a part of that. If it makes, uh, it means I have to like mint it or if it makes, it means I have to make a joke on Twitter about it or something like, you know, <laughs> that's all part of this ecosystem. And I think that's equally as important as like making art to a large degree because that's still very much elevating uh, your presence in the space. That's a super, 
That's a super interesting take. And for people that have been around for two years, uh, that, that can get, you know, often exhausting. You know, you have a, a post here that I'm looking at as well. This is on super rare. It's actually a piece and it's like, it's called scroll and it shows like, <laughs> yeah. somebody on Twitter yeah. kind of going through and, and trying to keep up with the NFT space. So mm-hmm. how, how do you, within that, where you're kind of like having to be on the pulse every day, how do you, as someone that's been in the NFT space for two years, how do you keep up and how do you stay in that longevity piece? Yeah, it's definitely gotten harder. Two years ago, uh, you know, you were, we were talking about easy before this. Everybody used to just go into this whip meetup once a week and they'd be like, here's the five projects coming out this week in the NFT space. And you'd be like, okay, I have a full grasp of everything that's happening. <laughs> now it's like 50 projects a day. It's really hard to sort through the good and the bad. And a lot of them will just be completely off your radar until it's too late. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 having your finger on the pulse in terms of being in these discords, being on Twitter, being aware of all this stuff. Because otherwise, there's there's no centralized way to learn about everything. You just have to be hyper active in all these places. Um, and yeah, that idea of that like constant scrolling. I mean, that kind of ties into what a lot of my art is, which is taking these kind of colorful, fun ideas. And using that to talk about kind of deeper, darker issues in the space, whether it's, yeah, uh, burnout or uh, imposter syndrome or any of these other things. I love kind of masking those kind of more serious topics with kind of like candy coated fun visuals because it's easier to bring people in that way. And so, yeah, I really that, that one was a fun one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm constantly scrolling Twitter all the time. It's part of the job. Yeah. And you mentioned the other part of that job is marketing. And again, a part of the, we had so much convo pre-episode that I had to tell us to like stop so that we could have it live. You mentioned that marketing's gotten harder too. Uh, it, at, between the time that you started to just be an individual to now working on multiple different projects that are large scale, how has that changed in marketing? Well, I think, you know, as the space has evolved, marketing has become it's, it's kind of mimicked the entertainment world where, uh, you know, two years ago I could just make – I was just making a piece of art, putting on Super Rare, and I'd be like, here's my piece of art. If you want to, if anybody wants to bid on it, it's available. Um, now – and I learned that that was not the right way to do it because then most people didn't know about it until it was too late, which we were just kind of talking about. Uh, now it's a whole hype cycle of – I'm going to make something. I'm, you know, say, say I have a super rare piece. Now, now I have to say, okay, I'm going to have this piece. It's going to come out in a week. And then you go, okay, two days later, here's a teaser of it, or, you know, here's the making of it. And then you have to kind of do this whole press junket for each release. And that kind of, um, it's the same for like Nifty Gateway or any of these other things. You have to kind of build this cycle of understanding around what you're making so you can effectively tell people about it. That didn't used to be as strong, but now it's really important to kind of cut through the, the chaos of the feeds. Um, and then in the same way, a lot of what I do now, I'm working with brands or platforms or collaborations and they have that same system of their own and you have to kind of work within their marketing systems as well. And so you, you have to be much more careful. And I think I was telling you before the show, there's like a whole bunch of things I'm working on. I just can't even talk about because, uh, you know, 
they have their own systems I have to work within within the marketing of it. Yeah, I want to give a quick shout out to the uh, chat here. Lama's saying keeping up is a big problem here. Have to bend your knee to all those alpha groups. Hash Rhymes <laughs> is saying announce, <laughs> announcing announcements. Uh, and Easy's in the house saying more bubbles. Uh, guys, thank you for tuning in uh, early today as we we just uh, press live here on the Nifty Q show. If you're not able to tune in here, you can always check out the audio podcast there on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, that stuff. So appreciate you guys showing up early. Uh, I guess, you know, I we, we skipped a couple steps, which I'm completely fine with and any rabbit holes you know we've we find let's let's dive deep into them but let's get a foundation of maybe you know who you are and where you came from uh before you got into the nft space yeah um so i guess my let's let's go back to the beginning um i got started in this journey making cartoons for Newgrounds when i was in high school and this dates me but those were old it was an old flash cartoon website that existed uh for the young the young folks in the audience um through through that i became inspired by that kind of feeling of putting content out putting these animations out getting comments on it people rating it saying oh this is funny this is terrible most of the time they said it was terrible because i was just learning how to make this stuff um and uh but that like that created this drive of like oh i can make something that evokes emotion out of people and then that took me on a journey of going to learn animation in uh college i went to the university of the arts in philadelphia uh learned how to make all sorts of experimental cartoons which i think has led me to where i'm at now um after college i moved up to new york i worked in i got started working in kind of fashion advertising doing motion graphics um before that i was like an intern on like some tv shows like wonder shows and all that but i found getting into the animation industry like the traditional stuff uh my style wasn't like i'm not like a disney animator and so i kind of lent i even though I enjoyed doing traditional animation, I knew I wasn't going to make it down that path. So I went more down the motion graphics path. Um, what led you to that? What, like what, what made you decide that? Like, Oh, I'm just, I'm better at this stuff or. Yeah. I think back when I was doing that new ground stuff, I was using a program called Adobe live motion, which is, was their competitor with flash. Um, and that, UI and system kind of evolved into what is now Adobe After Effects. And so I immediately kind of really got into Adobe After Effects, which is more of a motion graphics platform. And uh, that's it's a rabbit hole of its own. Um, but then even then, I went and worked on some HBO cartoons where I was doing everything from lip sync to character to background design. Um, and then I went and worked on like an MTV show and all these other things. I kind of bounced around and eventually um, landed a long-term job working at the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, which I worked at for eight years, um, which was like 1,600 episodes or something. Um, and then I also worked as the visual effects, uh, a visual effects artist at Saturday Night Live, uh, working on the pre-tape segments. Um, and b- both of those jobs, you know, I was working with teams. It was very collaborative. Um, but was that concurrent, or were those one after another? No, they were at the same time. So I'd work Fallon Monday through Friday, and then I'd work SNL on Saturday. So it was a six-day work week. So were you at all behind, one, Jimmy Fallon getting an ape, and two, the SNL skit that happened that we all saw? Did you have any type of influence there? Uh, no, I had no influence on Jimmy's ape. 
Okay. But uh, with the SNL NFT sketch, I I did. Um, when that script came in, they reached out to me because uh, that had been after me and my buddy Manny, who also worked at SNL, had done a project called Nimbuds on Art Blocks, and so everyone there kind of knew we were in the NFT world, and I'd been in the world for like a year, and so they came to me and they're like, "How do we show NFTs? How do we?" How do we? What does a marketplace look like? And so they kind of came to me for advice on that. Um, I I recommended the, a bunch of NFT artists that we could spoof. If you look at it, you can see like a lot of money or Rob Ness or all these other kind of things are sprinkled in there. And then a lot of my own artwork uh, is sprinkled into it as well. You can see my super rare, my Nifty Gateway, my Art Blocks pieces kind of floating in the background of that sketch. If you go back and watch it, so um, that was that was a really fun. Uh, moment because that was when I kind of realized that NFTs were more mainstream than I thought. Because mm-hmm. at that point, I still thought we were in this like little bubble of like algorithm, and I was like, nobody outside of maybe like a thousand people know what NFTs are. But that was when I was like, okay, <laughs> this you, is a big deal now. Yeah, I think we all had that that feeling. Do you think we still have another couple legs up to go, or do you think we're kind of there with when it comes to people knowing about NFTs? Um. I think there's a, a huge amount of space to grow still. Um, I think in terms of people knowing NFTs versus people that have actually made a wallet and gotten an NFT is a huge divide. Um, I think doing a MetaMask, setting all that up, buying crypto, transferring it over, those are difficult steps for the, a normal person. I think a lot of people believe that like this Coinbase NFT is going to solve that, but even that still to me feels a little complicated. Once we see... NFTs and crypto as easy as PayPal, then we're really going to see it launch. Um, and so I think in terms of that, I think we're still very early. In terms of uh, people knowing about NFTs, I think we're getting pretty big. But I also think there's a, a lot of people that know about NFTs might know about it through negativity or something. So I think there's still a lot of education in that sense as well. Um, but I'm still very... Um, optimistic whether whether the art world still has a huge leg is to be determined i think as with the space grows uh, art was kind of an outsized portion of the nft space and it's going to slowly go down while the collectibles and the access to events and all the alpha groups and all that kind of stuff goes up um but i think it'll still in in relative to how many people are collecting art NFTs, that will grow, but I think its portion of the overall market will shrink. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. It did feel like Nifty Gateway and a lot of these projects were just like the outsized bit of news in the space. It was all about people. It was all about B twenty and all these these art pieces. And frankly, it's not a sector that I'm you know too familiar with. You know, like I I come from the collectible side. I come from like you know investing in crypto in twenty sixteen. There was none of that, right? And so you know, just schooling me on the art world and and staying in that that kind of sector or that mode of discussion how has the art world changed uh from from 2020 maybe in in, in the nft space other than being obviously a lower market cap or <laughs> yeah. market size yeah, yeah. uh than than it than it was i'm sure it might be even more market cap these days but anyways how has that changed from 2020 oh i'm sure when i joined i think uh, around that time the biggest sale all-time high was like a pack sale for like five thousand dollars which is like what one at the time it was probably like 10 ethereum or something but now it's like one and a half ethereum or something it's 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 so small compared to what 
things flip for every second on the market. Um, and so, yeah, it's gotten massive. Um, and I think what we see is a lot of these kind of platforms, once the degens of the space sniff out that there's an easy 2x, they flood these markets, whether it's Topshot or Nifty Gateway or Art Blocks. Uh, all of those kind of have this gamble aspect that if you win, you win big, and that all of them flood these sites until they dry them out, and then they go on to the next thing. Um, what we're seeing now is I think Nifty Gateway has recovered from that cycle. I don't know if Topshot has quite recovered, um, and I think Art Blocks is still on that path, but it has a you know a long term path to it, so I'm sure it will. Um, but it's it's interesting to see how the space can come in, take something that's working really well, and just destroy Squeeze it just all temporarily. the juice out of it, every <laughs> single droplet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think you know that's what we're kind of seeing with like when it comes to art. Um, and now we'll see that with artists, whether it's X copy, and then everybody comes in and squeezes all the liquidity out of X copy they can in that moment, and then that dips, and then people have to come back in. But everyone kind of looks at these quick, get rich quick things, um, and no one's really looking at the long term aspect of the arts, uh, which I think is what um, you know. I, I'm to me, I buy a lot of this PFP stuff to make quick flips so that I can invest and buy like one of ones on super rare. Cause to me, that's like the long-term play because if you can invest in these artists, they're going to grow that sector will grow, but it's a, it's a long-term play and you have to kind of like utilize the gambling aspects of the space to get the money to do the things that aren't going to flip for a couple of years. Yeah. You kind of have to hit it while it's good with a lot of these projects that are just like very hype focused. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. Uh, speaking of quick flips, board ape, I mean, who knows about these quick flips and these guys that want to potentially sell apes, right? Uh, how, how are you doing sitting on your ape? I'm, I'm, I'm having a lot of debates about my ape right now. I, I I'm, I'm a big fan of being in the apes. I've had my ape. It turns one year old on Sunday and that's when I kept telling myself I would sell. Um, but I'm curious to see what the, you know, from that, I'm going to get into this metaverse. I'm curious to see if apes can stake and how that'll work. Um, there's a, there's so many possibilities and unknowns. It's really hard to make smart choices. But the one thing I've learned is that I, I can't fade Yuga Labs because they just keep crushing it every time. Um, I sold my mutant uh, for like a third of what it's worth now. <laughs> so, you know, at the time I was like, oh, cool. I have this money to play around with now. But it's like, yeah. And then you look back and like, oh, geez. Um, so last time I sold anything, it was on accident from Yuga Labs. It was uh, M2 Serum that I left on the market when it was dipping and I needed some liquidity. And then, of course, I, you know, it, it came back up, but I had left it in an, on OpenSea. Eight ETH it was sold for. I don't even look anymore. I, I had that happen with the Fidenza, which at the time was an all-time high for a Fidenza sale, um, but um, went on to be worth about 100 times more. <laughs> um, so, yeah. oh well. Yeah, oh uh, well. It's uh, lessons learned. And, you know, in the end, it was still profit. It's not like I lost money on it. Um, I just lost that potential money, which is what keeps people up at night. But I try not to think about those things. That's the key is using uh, the muted words on Twitter. You just mute Fidenza for a month and then, let, you know, 
<laughs> yeah, I'm going to start using that. I need that uh, very big. It, it's 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 funny with the, that dichotomy of like the real world, too, where there, there's all these kind of like crazy things happening in the in you know europe and all of these things that are happening in everyday life and inflation and all these different things at least in the u.s i'm sure all around the world and we're talking about the opportunity costs of the nft space it's interesting dichotomy it's like a little bubble that we're in and then we make it out to the real world sometimes uh i don't know if you feel that way well it's also you know we're always comparing it to the top of the charts it's like go back to fidenza you know yeah, it was worth a hundred times at one point. Now it's probably worth like ten times, you know. Um, but it's mm-hmm. like, would, would I have sold at that point? I don't know. Maybe not. Um, maybe I would have said, uh, wait a year, you know, because the person yeah. that bought it for me didn't sell it at the top. They're waiting a year um, to get that long-term gains. And so I think it's interesting thinking about like what projects have lasted a year. And there isn't a whole lot of board apes is one of the first to hit that mark in this new PFP run. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see the dynamic of what happens. Um, but, you know, again, they're an anomaly. Most projects are not crushing it on that, that level. Yeah, it, it goes back to that like Bitcoin article that says if you bought Bitcoin in 2008, it'd be worth X amount now. It's like there's so many waves between yeah. now and and back then that you probably would have sold some at some point. So yeah, I, yeah. Well, I would have I would have bought through Mount Gox at the time, and which everything got cleared out of, and so I wouldn't have had money because that was like the only marketplace I knew of back then. Yeah. Because um, I I tried to get a crypto kitty and I screwed up my like application to get on one of those like sites mm. and uh <laughs> and so you know I'm, I'm of the belief yeah i would have there's a very little chance i would have like been smart enough back then to have figured out a way to have it still now yeah so we have a lot of shows here on the network that cover the nft space one of them is the fun uncle show on sunday where one of our creators fun uncle who's an awesome guy he covers the nft space and in and blockchain industry really well he said that board ape art sucks and it sounds like he's dealing with some he's fudding just kind of coping there without a board ape but does i want to hear from like an artist what do you make of like the pfp art that you see today well i don't think the board ape art sucks i thought it was pretty good art when it came out especially compared to what was coming out at the time which wasn't much it was most stuff was kind of mimicking crypto punks at the time um they did a lot i mean they stole a lot of traits from crypto punks which was smart because it allowed people to kind of automatically understand scarcity um and i think it's pretty obvious that we're still seeing projects like one came out like two days ago that was like a bunch of bears on Solana that looked exactly like board apes. So it's, it's even, even if the art sucks, it's still influential. It's still, it's become quality, uh, regardless. Um, I think, you know, and that was what, I think a couple of handful of artists did the artwork. Um, yeah, I think we're seeing a lot of interesting PFP arts coming out, um, which I, I'm always a fan of seeing new stuff. I mean, there was one that came out yesterday or two days ago that I think looks incredible, but everyone hates it. So it's like, who am I to judge? You know, it's the regulars, uh, which are like these really ugly 3D characters. But I think they're phenomenal. But, you know, it's it's interesting to see the waves we go through, whether it's really thick outline cute characters like Cool Cats, or if we're in this anime phase right now with uh, Zuki and like a Galverse and all these things. And it's like... You know, everything's derivative of whatever's successful for a short period. 
and then those fade away and a couple live. Um, and so it's like, what's, what's the next wave going to be? It seems like right now the PFP wave is losing traction to this idea of just selling a card that gives you access to future things that are never really said. Uh, but that that's getting more into just pure speculation of if I buy this, I'll get cool stuff. I mean, look at the moonbirds. They're like, put your moonbird in here. Yeah, you're and you're going to get stuff, and I'm sure they will. But they don't have to tell anybody what they're getting. They're like, we're going to have this apartment sim tower kind of thing, but like no one really knows, and everyone's just speculating on it, which I think is you know, that's that's the pure degen side of the space right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. Well, I want to get into like any rabbit holes we can, but I kind of want to keep us on track. And in the last thing uh, before we com- we derailed a little bit was and derail all all you want by the way uh, was the SNL piece uh, and you kind of working there. How does that play into, you know, you like what did you learn at SNL and uh, as well as Jimmy Fallon uh, being, you know, that visual artist and and that uh, animation artist at those two jobs that is leading to your work now? I would say there's a few things I took away from it that you can see. One is my Twitter feed. You can see there's a lot of humor. I do some photoshops and stuff like that. That's all directly probably related to my background in making monologue jokes. Um, And then... um, I would say the diversity of styles you see in my artwork in the space is correlated to the diversity of requests and art styles I had to parody or create for these shows. Um, And that kind of ties into when I joined the space, I didn't want to get stuck doing a specific style over and over and over. And so I kind of leaned on picking a color scheme and that allowed me to jump from like 3D to 2D to neon to whatever. And then it all kind of lived in the same universe. Um, and I think that that comes from my background um, in animation, uh, that experimental animation I learned in college, but then also, yeah, working at Fallon and SNL, every single day you go in there and they say, okay, well, we need you to do a Schoolhouse Rock parody animation, and we need that by this afternoon or something, or by tomorrow or something. And so then you go, okay, I'm going to try and I'm going to watch those, see if I can learn it, draw that style, learn that. And so it's a lot of like, it's like we need a dr seuss cover you know it's like how do you illustrate all these different styles and so those shows made me much more um diversified with my uh, palette i could play with and i see that um being a strength with my work in the space it seems like a lot of artists work kind of take on like a timeline that's a little bit longer than what snl wants do, do, when you create a project uh you know today are you do you still f- feel like oh you know, I've worked at, in this timeline for eight, nine years. Do you get stuff done quick or do you like take your time a little bit more now that you're not under those constraints? Mm, it depends. It depends on the idea. Um, like you're talking about that super rare one with the, the finger running. That was an idea that came to me and I made that I made the piece in a few days. Um, with a nifty gateway drop that can take me a few months because usually with my nifty gateway drops, again, I change my style each time. And that takes a lot of trial and error of like trying to push my style and technical skills in a different direction. And so it kind of depends. Each one's its own thing. Sometimes I can knock out a piece of art in an hour and sometimes it can take a month. So it really, it just, it varies. 
Yeah, I've got a couple of questions on how to get involved in like your ecosystem and collecting your, you know, projects and things like this and pieces. Uh, But before that, the last piece I have on this SNL uh, uh, front, you mentioned that you, I don't know if you wrote any monologues or anything like that, but give me the best and then the worst uh, kind of set that you were ever involved in at SNL. Like maybe one that completely bombed uh, that you were just like, holy shit. And then one that did really well. (laughs) Um, Well, I didn't write any of the monologue jokes. I work with writers. Um, they're, they're the, they're the funny people. I just help execute their ideas and make them visually funny. Um, in terms of my, my favorite things or one that bombed, I, I, you sounded like you had one that was on the tip of your tongue. <laughs> well, the ones that bomb don't make it to air and sometimes they end up on YouTube. Um, but there's some music videos that didn't, didn't pan out great. Um, I'm trying to think of some bad ones, but, um, I should have, I should have thought of it a little bit more. There was one where it was like, it was about a pumpkin patch and this guy is just trying to have sex with a pumpkin and it wasn't very funny. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but then I think, I don't know. I get a kick out of when they make us go big, like doing a visual, like a a parody of a space epic or something where it's like, you can do like spaceships flying in space and like, and you get to kind of play in this like sci-fi visual effects world. I kind of enjoy that kind of stuff because that takes me out of that range because usually what the pre-tapes are are fake commercials, uh, fake music videos, and they all kind of live in that same kind of rap music video world. And you get kind of comfortable working in that. Um, even before SNL, I was like doing visual effects for rap videos like 10 years ago. Um, so I, I enjoy things that push me out of that wheelhouse, um, and kind of force me to like learn new stuff. And it's also that, that, that feels the most like visual effectsy to me is when you're doing like star Wars graphics and stuff. I want to go down the rabbit hole of which rap videos you also worked on, but I, I, I'll hold myself back here. Uh, and we can, we can kind of move <laughs> on, man. How, so you, you had that Nimbudge drop, uh, that looked really dope. Uh, it's available on OpenSea now, uh, for people who want to get involved, but how else, you know, can people, uh, get involved or, or want to, you know, kind of purchase a piece? How, how what is like, on the market what's to come i know you said you can't talk about everything but <laughs> yeah well nimbuds um i guess have been out for almost 16 months now uh, it was one of the first art blocks drops it was like number 10 i think um and so uh even now i think it's like one point it's like 1.7 to 2.2 ethereum right now um but when we sold those, they were $200 each to mint. So it's pretty crazy to think like even 16 months later, they're still holding their value pretty well. Um, Art blocks in general has kind of dipped. And so it's all kind of relative to that spike, like I talked about, but I always kind of compare it to where we started and we're still, still doing really great. Um, That's, that's on the more expensive side to collect my stuff. If you're looking to get some of my work uh, more affordably, I would look at nifty gateway. Um, and if you ever, you know, I had someone was in my Discord earlier, and they're like, "Hey, I want to get into your ecosystem. Where can I get your stuff?" And I, if if they have a budget, I'm happy to like point them in the direction of things that I think are like good values in those budgets. Um, with Nifty Gateway, there's plenty of stuff under one Ethereum. And if you dig even deeper outside of my name, there's some hidden gems that are in the collaborations. Um, I did a drop with Gemini in January that. It showed in like Times Square in LA and Miami. It was like on a boat in Miami, like floating around. 
Um, that, if you look up, it's called What's the Best That Could Happen? And those are selling for like, you know, cost right now because they're buried deep in the site. So if you do some digging, you can find some gems. But yeah, my stuff's on, you know, my one of ones are on Super Rare. Um, those are going to be a lot more expensive, I think, probably in like the seven Ethereum range and higher. Um, and then, but in terms of primary sales, I don't have anything, I think, available to buy. Everything's on the secondary right now. But uh, next week, um, I think May 5th, uh, there will be a good entry point. Um, so just follow me on Twitter and I'll be I'll be sharing that stuff more soon. That's awesome, man. So what do you, well, you mentioned Discord, what do you kind of do with your community? And uh, do you like look into utility pieces? I always feel bad for NFT artists in a way, because other than, like, I'm not an artist myself, but I assume before the internet existed, there was a lot less things you had to keep up with when it came to like launching a piece. Like you, you had a really great interview with Josie, I think like a year ago, and you guys were talking about the metaverse and how your art in the metaverse is a whole nother like type of feature of you as an artist. And it's just like all these different things kind of put together to, to kind of, uh, man, I just get, I get mind boggled even thinking about all the things you guys have to deal with when creating pieces. But going back to the original question, it's just like, yeah, like community, what, what are you doing with your community these days? Oh, my community. Well, I, I love my community and I respect their time. So I try not to make my discord be something that has to constantly be moving. I don't have community managers. It's all me right now. Um, and so it's a very passive, chill Discord, which is like how I need it to be. Otherwise, it becomes way too distracting. Uh, but people come in and they say hi. Um, if they're collectors, I give them a role that gets them access to a special collector's area that I, I show early works or have, there's like an, an alpha section where me and other collectors can talk about what we're buying and stuff. Um, and so there's that kind of utility. And then I also like to find cool ways to kind of give back to collectors, whether it's um, airdropping them wearables uh, for Decentraland or, you know, upcoming ones as well. Um, and then also uh, like Nimbud holders. I made something called Nim Buttons, which I think I got one here. And they're little, little buttons of the Nimbuds that you can get. And I'll send them to you with a custom drawing in the mail. Um, and so there's like, I, I like that kind of stuff where it's surprises versus like promises of roadmaps. Um, because yeah, in the end, it's like the art is the art in my mind, uh, I'm working towards making that art hold value. And so the extra stuff shouldn't necessarily devalue that art. I'm not going to like airdrop a ton of free NFTs that might flood the thing. It's finding fun ways of kind of, uh, again, I did that talk in LA and I kind of talked about like how you divide up your one of ones and your additions and your kind of poaps and freebies and like marketing stuff. And it's like, as long as you kind of keep everything in these different tiers, they don't devalue you, but they kind of raise your overall community. And so I'm always kind of thinking in that sense. Well, it sometimes it feels like in the NFT space, all of those other peripheral things take focus over the actual art piece itself. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we've generally touched on that with Bored Apes. We've touched on that. You mentioned cards who visually they're probably not being bought because they look pretty. They're getting bought for everything else. So how do you balance that? I mean, you mentioned how you balance it as an artist, I guess, but it's just kind of, you know, kind of jump in there a little bit more. It's like I feel like all these utility aspects are just overshadowing everything in the gaming sector in the collectible sector in the music sector it should just in a way kind of go back to the original piece itself shouldn't it that's the hope um 
I try to put the art first. Um, but I do think community and I think, I think community is a huge part of it. When you collect an artist piece, you're joining their collector community. Um, and I think that's that's a value in itself. I, I, I want to mention uh, two two comments here in the chat. Uh, Theo Voice is saying uh, we or or Theo Vice is saying we want to know too what videos. So I think he was mentioning the rap videos. Can you mention any like just a lightning question? Any rap videos you were on? Uh, one of them was called "Same Damn Time" by the rapper Future. Okay. Um, and then there was one that was. CeeLo Green's rap group, but I forget the name of it. I'm going um, back to that future one right after this. It's pretty. It's a pretty silly video. And then uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of graphics. Hash Rhymes is saying uh, I miss Josie's interviews, which definitely I do too. Uh, I do but, too. Yeah. But let's let's get to that that metaverse piece. How do you view the metaverse when it comes to your art? Uh, you guys were like showing off your candy shop that was in Frankfurt in in Cryptovox, so it took me back, man. But yeah, 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 yeah. That was my Pranksy land. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I still am a huge believer that everything we're building right now is assets for the metaverse. Um, and as much as maybe a year ago I thought buying land was the play, um, now I think the play is building assets for the metaverse, whether it's 3D sculptures or wearables or furniture i think there's a huge amount of possibility in that because as soon as apple puts out ar glasses we're going to be seeing all this new stuff that we put into our rooms via the ar and i i see nft art as the art that's going to be on those walls and I see the sculptures as how we fill the floors. And so I think that still has not fully come to fruition. And so as an artist, uh, I'm trying to get better. Uh, my, my drop next week will be GLB sculptures. That'll be AR ready. Um, I'm still a huge believer that that's going to be the next wave. Because in the end, all these metaverses play into this bigger idea of as collectors, we want to show and tell. We want to say, look at this cool NFT I got. And we want to bring people into our spaces and show our galleries and tell people about why they're important to us. And that all plays into what the metaverse is, which is a huge show and tell experience. If you look at what uh, the, oh, the open metaverse that just kind of came out two weeks ago, uh, I don't know if you dived into that on, on cyber. It was like uh, punk six five one two i might be saying his number wrong um but he built a huge city that are just filled with little galleries of collectors showing and telling their work and so i think that's that's to me the the blueprint still can i uh can i give a quick shout out to on cyber here they were the ones that originally got me to to buy a board eight for the reason that you just mentioned i went into on cyber started yeah. hanging out my stuff and i was like man i'm just not cool enough like there's some blank spots here <laughs> i i, I want to have a board ape on this wall uh and i ended up buying one this is you know fairly early on uh d definitely so no i love them they're really cool they, they they made a room they made that like charcoal room 
And they were really cool. They they used all of my art to show that new space when they advertised it. That was really cool of them. That's really cool. I want to touch on that downtown piece uh, that you mentioned or that, that big city piece because Decentraland in a way felt like that for a little while. CryptoVoxels in a sense does as well where it's like this larger area that you can go in and visit individual galleries. But you don't have that feel that you're in there with other people. Sometimes it it, it almost feels. I think I was with I was with a, an individual, you know, uh, getting interviewed yesterday uh, for for Galaxy Fight Club. He mentioned Sandbox is kind of like a a museum. Like that's what it almost feels like. You're in there, kind of experiencing it yourself. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, outside of maybe the whip meetups and crypto voxels, it's pretty desolate. Um, I feel like Decentraland. I appreciate that CryptoVoxels feels like a downtown where you don't have to walk far to get to the next thing. Decentraland, I feel lost in a valley of nothingness all the time. Um, I think what it needs is these kind of strip mall centers or something that like everyone could go to these moments, um, which I've seen a few places try that. The 100X district tried to do that. Um, but it's too big and there's too many people that are just hoarding land and not allowing those environments to build up. And so to me, I feel like, a pr- like that's what's kind of interesting about this new open metaverse thing is that it's not going to be destroyed by greediness of like, I'm going to buy this crypto voxel plot and just leave it empty and never do anything with it. Um, and so I think, I think there's positivity there with sandbox. I think sandbox is a weird, a weird middle ground between a metaverse and video game. Um, and I think it's also going to be really, I'm, I'm very excited to walk around because I feel like you're going to walk around and it's just going to be all these Snoop Dogs uh, <laughs> everywhere. Because like they sold like a huge amount of Snoop Dogg skins. And that's like the only, <laughs> everyone's just going to be weird Snoop Dogs, uh, which I think is very funny. Um, but yeah, I also feel like Sandbox is also going to be too big too empty uh, with people that are just buying plots and not doing anything with them. And they're definitely like attacking the gaming sector more. I think you mentioned it really well, where it was just kind of like, it's, it's a Minecraft with a video aspect, uh, a video game aspect uh, there as well. So I, I feel that um, let's search on the Sotheby's and, and Christie's piece, man. Like you, what was that process like of having your art uh, in that environment? Yeah. Well, um, they're all interesting in that none of them, all I was in Sotheby's twice and Christie's once, and all of them were secondary sales. So two of them were art blocks lots, and so it was a part of this bigger art blocks sale. Um, and then one of them was my Genesis super rare one of one uh, that resold at Sotheby's and went from uh, Jimmy Eth, who was the original buyer, to Pranksy. Um, which are both wonderful friends. Um, and so that, that was cool because that was kind of, that one felt like it was my art versus being a part of a bigger lot. Um, but I think all of them have their ups and downs. A lot of collectors don't care for the old auction houses. And so a lot of people consider selling those at those places to be a bit of a discount on the price. But to me, um, I'm a believer that, you know, on your, as a resume, it's really cool to say that you were in those places. And, 
my grandma knows what Sotheby's is and she doesn't know what Nifty Gateway is. So it's, it's cool to the people that aren't necessarily, uh, you know, buying the work, but it it gives you this validity outside of the space in a cool way. True. And and really like that's 99% of the rest of the world doesn't know what Nifty Gateway (laughs) is. So definitely. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I appreciated being both of that. The Chrissy's one was a little weird because the, the reserve wasn't met even though it had a a massive bid it was like coming right off the top of that art blocks peak and it was kind of on the downswing of it and so it didn't i think it had like a bit of like over like one and a half million and didn't hit the reserve and so everyone was kind of like what Um, but what do you do in that scenario? I'm just not familiar with the art world at all. What happens when it's I think, not the risk? I think the collector pulled it and then sold pieces piecemeal uh, outside of like on the, on the regular market on the open sea and stuff. I think he just decided, you know, the discount of selling it in bulk didn't, didn't make it worth it. Um, so it was kind of funky. Uh, it didn't that one, but it was still cool to see the work displayed at Christie's because Christie's is literally across the street from SNL and Fallon. So I used to walk in there before work all the time to look at the art. So it was really it was a cool experience to be a part of. Yeah, I was actually there for NFT NYC, and I'm not going to NYC that often. So it was a cool experience for me. It wasn't like I can just you know walk across the street. Uh, it was just an amazing experience to have. Yeah. You know, people's artwork there was that that rotating, you know, animation. That was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, human one, the human one, really cool yeah, for yeah. the space. I thought it was a, you know, even individuals who probably had no idea what an NFT were were walking in there like, holy crap, what is happening here? You know, uh, yeah, it was a cool piece. Yeah. I and let me just put this on record though. I feel like Beeple is like a tourist in this space in a way. Like he doesn't want to be a resident of the the Web three space and like has been super vocal. He works in the shadows about it. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. Um, I think while he, I mean, look at 10K TF um, or the thing he did with Time Magazine. I think he's just working in the shadows and building something bigger than himself to a degree. Um, so I, I think he's definitely, you know, he's all in on Web3. It's just a matter of he's not necessarily, he's playing on a different level than everybody else because he made $100 million and he doesn't have to be, he doesn't, he's, he's, he's on Elon Musk level, you know, he doesn't have to be on the weeds. Um, and so I, I agree that like, I think he might have like a, there's a few, I, I have some theories that maybe he's some, you know, has a, has a burner account. Um, that he's collecting with, but I, I think he's understandably worried about people judging his collecting, you know? Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. I, I guess from, from my perspective, uh, it, it felt like at one point he was the face of the NFT industry for, for the broader, you know, market. I mean, he was on, you know, all these news articles and everything like that. Yeah. He and, went on Fallon yeah, to promote it. Yeah. Exactly. And it, and it feels like he's not, that was huge. Yeah, it, it was. And it was a great moment in time, but for him to then kind of be working from the shadows now, it, it feels kind of weird for someone that was the face to now not 
continue to be the face, but I totally understand working from the shadows too. I was at NFTLA and I saw him at like five different events. So he's definitely still, he's still in the mix. I don't think he's abandoned it in any way. I think he's just much more protective of himself. So people, uh, Brinkman's got your back here on the, on the nifty Q show. Uh, so we'll, we'll move on here. I appreciate those, those insights too. Cause I don't have them right from, from everything yeah, yeah. that's happening in the space. I can't keep up with what people's doing. I just see what I see. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the 10 KTF's doing really well from what I've seen. So I think that was, I don't know how involved he is with it, but it was a smart play on his part. What did, what did he do with 10 KTF? I think he's like one of the main people behind it. But they're basically selling, creating wearables that'll work with, I don't know if they've said it yet, but it seems like it'll work with this new Yuga Labs metaverse. It does seem that way, doesn't it? Now that you say that out loud, that that seems like the... the uh wearables for the for the other side is going to be uh the play wow okay i put that on we need to exit out of here because i need to go buy some 10ktf uh i want to get on these this last piece and i also want to bring it to uh the community as well the chat is there uh if you guys have any questions for brian definitely uh drop them before i let him go uh so you're working as an advisor for nfts dot what the fuck and change dow uh tell me a little bit about both projects uh really like you know obviously being a content creator myself i love that you're working with nfts.wtf so tell me a little bit about that and then what you're doing with change um I, I got involved with them very early um i was part of their DAO, and then they voted me to be one of their advisors and how i see them is uh an nft news site that kind of rivals like kind of the vice mentality not necessarily talking about big sales every day but talking about deeper articles into the space um which i appreciate um because as we've seen the space grow, we see a whole lot of garbage um, articles coming out of like Kotaku and all these other places that uh, kind of are gar- yeah, they're, they're not Those good. Are so bad. <laughs> um, and so I, when given that opportunity to kind of have a say in how the space is talked about, I got very excited about that. Um, and then with ChangeDAO, uh, as an artist, I've done a lot of charity drops. And what doesn't really get talked about in the space is if say I raise $100,000 for a cause by selling NFTs and I send that to them, I'm still on the hook to pay the, the income tax on it. And so really, I'm losing $30,000 by giving all that money away. Mm-hmm. And so what ChangeDAO is going to do is use smart contracts uh, that kind of cut things off from hitting your wallet in a way that allow you to claim um, a tax rebate on charity donations, uh, allow the money to go directly into the wallets of these causes and not not impact you on an income tax. And then also create this proof of change that allows people that want to donate to have this kind of like uh, way of showing off how they've donated in cool ways. And they are getting NFTs from artists that will hold value on their own as well. So I see it as a three-way win yeah. where the artist gets a rebate, the collector gets a piece of art that will hopefully appreciate, and the cause gets a direct donation. And so that's been really fun to kind of build. It's been a huge headache in terms of the logistics of it, yeah. but I think it, uh, we've we've sorted it all out and we're getting very close. I feel like the hardest part about that in crypto is like the cross-jurisdiction stuff. Like everything isn't in the U.S., but somehow has to be involved in the legality system of the U.S. How do you guys do or how does ChangeDAO kind of like make that happen? Um, well, I think the, the part of it is whether you're paying with Ethereum or 
die, it's all pegged to a specific dollar amount. So it's like the dollar amounts first. Um, and I think, yeah, the jurisdictions of that kind of stuff. The only thing we had to be careful about is not allowing certain countries that are on like the, the no list from participating. But I think it's okay on a global scale to do a lot of this stuff. Um, in terms of, you know, causes, they have to be like 501c3s and stuff like that, that kind of fall into legal jurisdictions um, for donations. So um, thankfully, there's lawyers uh, that know a lot more about that stuff than me. And I kind of just give my advice on how it work, should work best for artists. <laughs> And I, and I get to be a bit of a spokesperson for them, which is fun too. I mean, that's an amazing uh, piece that you just dropped. I definitely want to check out Change Dow. I think the, you, the, there's three positives to, to donating when you get none of that if you go through the the regular system. So that's a really cool, cool one. Yeah, I mean, not, not not to disparage people from doing charitable drops. I think they're still great, but just be aware that you might have to pay some taxes on that. <laughs> I think I think this uh, this past month we're going to see a lot more artists that come out of this recent wave understanding taxes more. That's one of the benefits I had of being in the space two years ago is that I've already been through a season of this. Um, but I think a lot of people are probably uh, much more aware now. <laughs> Well, I deferred to October just to have some time to, to figure fair, it out a little bit To be fair, I did too. More. My accountant almost ghosted on me and I had a heart attack, but uh, he came came back through the woodworks and was like, we extended it. Um, yeah. So I don't even know. Like, it's, it's weird to be in a position where you don't really know how much money you have. Yeah. No, I totally get it. I mean, they, it, man, crypto and in, in the tax system and the... It's just it's just a muddle. It's just an absolute muddle. So I don't even want to get get really into that yeah. combo. So <laughs> we're all gonna move to Miami sure. soon and not have not to worry about taxes. No, Utopia. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, speaking of, uh, well, no, let's not go there. Uh, I was gonna say speaking of Utopia. How about other side? Uh, but we will end the interview here soon. I want to get your take on just a couple of the other NFT uh, happenings in the space. Uh, namely sure. the, the other side uh, metaverse there, but also like codas and, and things like that. What do you, what you're collecting as an artist, uh, you know, and all these different things. So, well, I hope I get a coda in my metaverse land. Um, we, you were talking about your friend earlier that didn't like the apes art. I think the coda is a way for people that might not connect with that to find another thing to connect with. Um, in the same way that we saw uh Azuki's beans uh like i don't connect with azuki art because i'm not big on anime which i i respect anime but i'm not i'm not like deep in the lore of it uh but the beans are really cute and fun and easy to market and make toys out of and plushes and all this other stuff and that's so smart and i think that's what coda is going to be for the uh, board apes um where they can be kind of you know a much more marketable move. And I think we're going to start to see because like the, the board apes dogs are not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're kind yeah. of stupid looking. <laughs> that that was uh, done. I feel like at a point when they're, they were at a whole nother like level of where they are now. You know what I mean? Like they, they would never relaunch the dogs in the way that they did, but it just wasn't board apes. Weren't board apes when they were launched back in the day, like yes, a year yes, ago yes, at this yes, point, yes. probably. And so I think, I think I, I love that the other side is kind of becoming this all-encompassing metaverse and it's going to be fun to see it, it, it to me it's going to be like when coinbase nft would be like here's our new partner and everything would have these mini pumps 
it's going to be like that all the time with other side where it's like we're bringing on this project that's now going to be playable in the world and then it'll pump and stuff and so i think they're in this position where they have a huge level of taste making uh, and so every project's going to want to be in that world because i, I also think you, if if it's successful i don't know i think tropo said it's going to be world of warcraft which i think is kind of brilliant um but uh if it's successful it's going to destroy all the existing metaverses <laughs> in my mind <laughs> like all of them are i was talking yeah. to I was talking to Yatsu about this because uh, I had him on the podcast. He's he's from Animoca Brands, of course. And I was like, you guys are investors in Sandbox. The other side feels like it's going to kill the Sandbox. How does this all work? And, of course, he gave like the you know the the answer that he needed to give, which is the pie is big enough for, for everyone as we onboard all these new users. But it does feel like if other side is successful, that it's going to hurt a lot of these other projects and already kind of has, to be honest. Yeah. Well, the sandbox, well, other side, it's up to them to make the game with sandbox. They're putting the responsibility on all of these PFP projects that we're going to put part of our roadmap is building a sandbox land. And then that puts the responsibility on them, Hmm. which is kind of (laughs) smart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were having the, that sandbox discussion too because basically, sandbox all, all they have to do is press retweet at this point because it's literally just marketing for their entire yeah. platform. They don't have to do mu- much. They were really smart. I don't know how they did it, but I feel like from last summer through fall, every PFP project that dropped said part of our money is going to go into buying a plot in sandbox. And that was really smart marketing, and I don't know how involved they were, but it, or if it was just people repeating what other projects were doing, but it made their value just shoot up. And no one was really talking about Decentraland, no one was really talking about CryptoVoxels, everyone was talking about Sandbox. But Sandbox still isn't even out yet, and if Yuga Labs can put out this new one before Sandbox goes public, they're in a huge amount of trouble. Yeah. One I've always felt like that has been like at the heart of the NFT community, all these Web3 values, of course, is crypto voxels. I would love to see crypto voxels take the next step. I just don't see it in the foreseeable future. I, you know, I, I, I love it, but it's a small team. Um, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm looking at land all the time in there just because I don't like to destroy anything I've built in there because to me, it feels a part of the historical world it's like destroying a building in downtown manhattan like that's a part of the history of this city you know and so everything i build in crypto voxels is like a becomes like a a moment of time in my mind and so like when i built that candy shop i built it in a to be a candy shop in this world that when you and even the postcard has this like antique vibe to it because i was thinking at the because i think i was looking at like a lot of money stuff and all that i'm like oh we are building what will become historical landmarks in this metaverse um and so i still think when i look at crypto voxels i would much rather buy a piece of land and build something fun in there because one it's really easy to build two it's mobile friendly and um it's also way cheaper than all the other metaverses it's a steal and you can make something on the on par with on cyber where you have full control over building a gallery in that sense um with the, with the exception of maybe like glb files don't load in very well yet but um i still yeah I'm, I'm i'm still a big fan even though i can see that it's struggling to gain momentum 
Yeah, I, I commend your time management skills because along with like all the projects that you're building, you've been able to stay up on the space. Like my job is to stay up on the space in a way, and so is yours, of course. But literally, I, I have to directly, you know, be you know talking about it all the time. Uh, but to be you know this caught up on the space is 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 very very commendable. What like PFPs are you looking at now? Like what communities are you looking at that are doing this well uh, and you know have a good roadmap or whatever you value as a PFP project? What are you looking at? Let's see. What have I bought recently? <laughs> I got I got the new V friend. Um, I think you know Gary's staked his reputation on it, so it's a pretty safe bet. Um, I liked that eight eight bit me project that kind of pumped for a moment. I liked that they have traits that have perks that you could unlock, um, and so it's like I bought one that has like a money bag perk. I don't know what it's going to get me, but somewhere down the line, I'm going to get some sort of money bag perk. I think that's a really fun idea. Um, PFP projects, uh, Akuverse, they had a heartbreaking launch where they lost all of their profits. Um, but I think their what Micah, I've, I've been a fan of his for like two years now. Um, he's way ahead of everybody else um, in terms of like thinking about how to, how to use his uh, content and IP. Um, you know, his async piece was groundbreaking. His nifty pieces are groundbreaking. And then with this project, uh, not a lot of people are talking about it, but all the characters are built in the Unreal Engine, which makes them very compatible with everything that'll come next. Um, and so I think that's that's a pretty pretty smart buy right now there's an impressive history of projects that have had like botched launches in a way and i quote unquote botched launches that actually go on to do super well yeah uh so that's that's a trend in the space that i'm noticing yeah well you mentioned um josie earlier i think cyber brokers are awesome yeah like the tech behind it is insane and the team is also like top s tier (laughs) you know like i i can't imagine that would fail because everyone involved is incredible um and yeah the uh, in my mind no projects can really fail unless people give up and when it's an artist behind a project they're never going to give up because it's their art it's their life it's their reputation um i'm i'm always going to buy in to projects that are artist forward whether it's vinnie hagar's letters or peaceful groupies from jan frula um gremlins cryptodes like these these are staking the reputation of these uh, artists that I respect. And so I, in my mind, even if they're down, they're going to continue to build throughout whatever walls long-term. Very well said. Very well said. So I'm not going to uh, kind of add on to anything there. I'll let that be the last piece. Uh, thank you guys so much for, for showing up here today on the Nifty Q show. We will be back uh, next week, Wednesday. We do these every Wednesday and Thursdays around 2 PM. Uh, you know, Brian, tell me anything else you want to tell me on getting involved uh, in what you've got going on or any last pieces of advice or any last thoughts uh, before we close out, man. Um, yeah. Follow me on Twitter. Feel free to join my discord. Um, thank you for having me. And I think, yeah, I got, I got a lot of drops coming up that I'll, I'll start sharing about, uh, in probably next week. Um, 
but it's going to be a busy it's going to be a busy summer. It's going to be there's a lot of fun announcements I'm excited to share. Yeah, Brian is was super excited to share these like probably right now but he needs to get permission from the marketing team <laughs> first. <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah awesome i don't want to spoil of course man <laughs> but uh, yeah no i really appreciate you having me on this is a fun conversation i as much as i you know i i i, I don't mind talking about my history i i much prefer just to talk about the space and have fun yeah because like like you said we're, we're we're deep in this this is this is my like my hobby is my life and i love it Do you, this is one last personal question be and I, I feel the exact same way when it comes to just like sitting down and talking uh with you about the the industry and where we've come uh in the last couple of years i always try to like leave it back into the conversation because i feel like people are here and want to hear about you and all these things um but like how do you have you seen like now that it's been about two years people that have been around since then do you feel like they're getting kind of i don't want to say strung out but do you see like a a an, what's the word i'm trying to look for here like do you yeah burnout. do you see a little bit of burnout on your side from people in yeah. the space 100% you see that? 100% yeah definitely especially the artists that were here before the hype because they've we've all had to endure the craziness and it it hits you in a in it hits your mental health in a dangerous way when the money when the money gets so big and the expectations get so big it's really hard to stay focused um my last nifty gateway drop in january was or i guess february it was if you look at it it's all over the place crazy chaos because i was going through that post art basil mode where i was and i had like some deaths in the family and i was just like really struggling create to find that creativity um it's it, that burnout hits real hard it's and so i think we're there's thankfully the artist community is very supportive um is very understanding and will give you advice on how to disconnect um i have you know i have probably not taken a lot of that advice yet uh but i think uh it, it's definitely I, every artist i've talked to has said oh man i'm so burned out so I think it's just a part of it. Uh, but I think w once this bear market comes, we'll all get to have a, 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 a sigh of relief. Yeah. Bear market. Uh, yeah. 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 Definitely, man. I, I need you here for the long haul. Uh, so definitely take some <laughs> advice. If they're telling you to take a, take a break, take a break. Yeah, no, no, I'm, 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 I'm in a good state now, but yeah, definitely around the holidays. I was a little burnt yeah. out, but thankfully, I, you know, Going to, I took a week off in LA and relaxed. It was, it was good times. Yeah, it's, it's good to hear that you're like at least, you know, observing mental health and, and physical health in that way too, man. So definitely, uh, yeah. It's important. Yeah. Good, yeah. good good talk here uh, today on the Nifty Q Show, guys. Appreciate you tuning in. I am going to end the stream now. I'll wave bye uh, to everyone at home. And, and Brian, I'll just talk to you for, for a second. Bye, guys.